Hello, and welcome to Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. In our current series, Perspective, A Different Way of Thinking, we would dive into the book of Philippians and ask God to change our perspective and how we do life. Everybody say perspective. Now we're talking about the gospel of the Philippians here tonight. I want to give you a little bit of context about this book because the context will give us a different perspective and help bring this teaching to life to us. If you want to jot notes while I'm teaching, please feel free to do so because I I would love for you to remember things that we talk about on Wednesday night. If you're a guest here tonight, we really are happy to have you. It's an honor. And uh, this full, full house tonight is really not just about my teaching. It's about the fact that we're going to be serving some nice bluebell ice cream that I'm going to be fasting over tonight. So... God bless all of y'all as you eat your way all the way to the bottom of the cup while I'm standing there watching. The book of Philippians was a letter written by the Paul by Paul to the church in Philippi. Paul started that church. He started it in a prison house in Acts chapter 16 when a jailer and his family were saved. He was an apostle sent by God to lead people to the Lord. And he raised up leaders and he started churches in different cities. This church was started in about 52 A.D., And about 20 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he assembled Philippi and he loved them dearly. You'll see the deep affection the apostle has for them as we go through this study in the book of Philippians. He's writing a letter about 10 years later, about 62 AD, in response to something that the church did for him. Paul was in a time of need and the people took up a very generous love offering and sent it to him. Now, Paul normally wouldn't receive financial gifts He was very proud and he would say, hey, I've never, never been a burden to you. I've always worked. I'm a tent maker. I've never imposed on you for a financial gift. But because of his relationship with the church, he actually received the gift. And he was so moved by it, he wrote a very heartfelt and loving letter, emotional thanks, mingled with some gentle and loving instruction for the church in Philippi. Now, the book of Philippians has an unmistakable theme that rises to the top when you read it. And it's the theme of joy. Everybody say joy. Joy. In the middle of summer, I'd like to have a church baptized with joy. Amen. Amen. In the middle of summer, while summer's heat's going on, I got in my car today and it said 106. I know it wasn't that, but I do know it was very, very hot today. But in the middle of a hot summer, wouldn't it be nice to have a joyous summer? Come on, say amen to that. Just a joyous summer. The word joy or rejoice is similar words are used at least 19 different times. And you'll see this massive joy come out of a guy who may not have had any reason in the natural life to have joy. I want to give you some information that may change your perspective on how perhaps you read the Philippians. I love whenever I find something that changes my perspective. For example, I don't know if you've ever met someone and thought, wow, I don't like that person. They're rude. They're snobby. They're stuck up. Please don't elbow the person sitting next to you and say, I'm sitting beside one of those kind of people tonight. (laughs) That's not nice. But then you find out more of their story and you hear what they've been through or what they're going through right now. And you say, oh, wow, I had no idea. That's called a change of perspective. Or you'll be having a bad day. You're late somewhere. You're stuck in traffic. Your your car's overheating. You've hit a culvert and had a blowout. Ouch. But then you pick up your phone and somebody calls and somebody's lost a loved one. Somebody's lost a wife. Somebody's lost their husband. Somebody's lost their kids in a tragedy. And you say, oh, wow, my problems are not real big. 
that changes perspective. I remember when I was young, I used to pastor grandparents. I still do. I am one. So I pastor myself. That would come, <laughs> that would come to church sometime and say, wow, pastor, we almost didn't make it to church tonight. We had grandkids this week, and they're so special. But, man, they take up your energy. And I, at 30, would just laugh and say to myself, that will never happen to me. Now we have four and the fifth one's on its way and God's changed my perspective. <laughs> like a man who complained he had no shoes until he met a man who had no feet. It's a perspective change. When I was a kid, I thought kids who got to go on ski trips every year were very rich. And later I had friends and they went on two ski trips every year and they owned their own skis and I thought they were extremely rich. Until one day, literally, I met a man who owned a mountain in Utah, his own ski resort, and flew his own plane there. Now, that's what I call really, really rich. And that last bit changed my perspective. He invited me to that mountain one time, and I didn't go, and he got mad at me. Let me give you some information that may change your perspective on the way you read the book of Philippians. Everybody say, Philippians is a joy-filled letter. And it was written out of a Roman prison. Everybody say it's joy-filled. And it's written in prison. In fact, in Acts 28, the Bible tells us that Paul spent two years under house arrest simply for preaching the gospel. Two years chained up 24 hours a day to the Roman imperial guard. Paul's greatest dream was to take the gospel to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, not a prisoner. We're going to watch how God can give joy no matter what. So we're going to go to Philippians, the first chapter. We're going to start at verse 2, and we're going to read all the way down till I get ready to stop about verse 7. Here we go. You ready? Boy, I like the way that looks. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership. How many of you have a prayer life with joy? Come on now. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Let's read on. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, if I'm a prisoner, are defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Paul said, even if I am, give a hand to the word tonight. That's good stuff. <laughs> Paul said, even if I'm in chains. Now, he knows the Philippians are going to be concerned about him, so he lets them know so they won't be freaked out that I am, I'm, I'm locked up, kids. And Paul probably preferred no chains would have liked to have been set free to preach the gospel. Let me ask you a question tonight. How many of you right now, look at me right now, have something in your life you wish was different? Right now. You could just say, I wish God would change this about my life. I wish that something was different in my life. Probably every season of our life. We look and we say, I wish it wasn't the way it was. It seems like when we're young, we always want to be older. And when we get older, we always want to be younger because <laughs> we're never satisfied. Some say, I wish 
I wasn't doing the kind of work that I'm doing. I'm, I'm in a job that's way beneath my skill level. It's not fulfilling. Or I'm not crazy about the people I work with. They're driving me crazy. And sometimes I really wish I didn't live where I live. I wish I was in a different city. I hope you don't say that about Austin. I wish I had some different friends. Or I wish I lived in a different house. Or I wish I had a house. Someday I wish I was married. Some say that. And those who are married say, I wish I had a different kind of marriage. Some without kids would say, oh, I'd give anything to have kids. And then those with kids say, I'd give anything to have different kids. Or at least if they would behave differently. And looking at our lives, I just wish that there was just something about my life that was different. You ever been there? Come on, say amen. Amen. So there's three things we're going to write down right now. They're going to come in rapid fire order, but I want you to write these things down. Here's what I want you to write. We all have a what and don't understand the why. Write that down. Hear this. God, this what is going on in my life and I don't understand why it's not different. God, why don't you do something about this what in my life? That's the question we ask at different seasons. All of us, we have a what and don't understand the why. I hope it brings you encouragement to write this second phrase down. Remember, God always has a why behind the what. Woo, hallelujah. I love that. God always has a why. I'm going to explain this in a little while if you're just a little late with me, but hang on. God's not not a God that wastes a hurt. He doesn't waste it. God's ways are higher than eyes, higher than eyes, higher than eyes, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's good. You hear me? God's good through and through. And Job said he's on top of everything. He is in control. He can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it around in your life and attack something and make it good in your life. Because he did say all things work together for the good to them who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Clap your hands for that. He can make out of a trial something in you that develops your character. He can build your faith through difficult times. God is working in all things to bring about good. God has a why in the what that we don't understand. Another thought, if you're taking notes, here's the third one. I don't have to understand the why to trust God in the what. Are you writing that down? I don't have to understand the why to trust God in the what. I can trust the Lord with all my heart and I can lean not to my own understanding. But in all my ways, if I acknowledge him, he will direct my path. I don't have to understand everything to continue to trust him. Because when I can't track him, I've got to trust him. And when I trust him, he knows that I trust him. And it doesn't matter what hits me today or comes into my life tomorrow. Whatever it is, I don't have to understand the why to trust a God that I know won't put anything on me that I can't bear. But will with every temptation provide a way of escape. Come on, clap your hands that you might be able to bear it. Amen. Amen. If you're in a place like that right now and there's something in you saying, I don't like it. I wish this was different. 
I'm just not sure what to do about this. Let me give you two questions to ask when life is hard. One of them is going to come now. One is going to come toward the end of the message. You'll be tempted to ask why, and I'm going to encourage you to bounce right over the why question. And instead of asking why, I want to encourage you to ask what. So first, say it with me. We're going to say it this way. Now what? Not why. We're going to bounce over that question. Say no more whys. Just what? Boy, it's powerful. It's going to get you in a minute. It's going to get you in a minute. It's going to grab you right here by the jugular, and you're going to be saying, praise the Lord. Everybody say, I'm going to bounce over the whys. I'm going to get to the whats. I don't like what's going on, God. Now what? Now what? I don't understand this, God, but I trust you with the why, and I don't know what it is you want to show me, what it is you want to do with me, but I'm not going to ask you why. I'm just going to say, what do you have in mind for me with this in my life? Because I know that he will not withhold any good thing from me. Because if there's anything I know, he loved me before I ever knew who he was. And he died for me on a cross. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Woo, hallelujah. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you woke up and you're in a bad place financially. Maybe you got a bad report from the doctor this week. Maybe you've got a relationship that's important to you and it's massively messed up right now. You're at a dead end in your life. Maybe your cat had kittens and you didn't want them right now. I don't know. That's just a joke. But in verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul said, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, not why, but what has happened to me, has really served to advance The gospel. Can I tell you that whatever has happened to you is not to set you back and set the gospel back. It's to advance the gospel and advance your faith. Because faith is really not faith until it's been tested. And when it's tested, it shall come forth as gold. Tried in the fire. Now, you hear me when I tell you, God's not putting something on you so you can say, why, God, why did this happen? He's putting something on you so you can say, okay, what's next for me, God? I feel something coming on in my life. What's next for me? I need a what's next in my life. The word in the advance is a military term that means to move forward. It literally means advance, moving forward. But it means more than that. It means that there's a group of soldiers that go before the army and they clean out the underbrush and they clean out all the trees and all the stuff and all the the bushes that would halt and cause stickers to come into the army. He advances the gospel. He takes this gospel. He cleans the path for you to walk straight and say, you know what? I know something happened to me and I don't know what it was all about, but I do know give it to me so I would go backwards he gave it to me so I would move forward everybody say forward 
Many times we're in a place and we're saying, God, this isn't good, and I don't see God working here, and I don't feel his presence, and nothing good that can come out of this. I want to encourage you to stop and have a change of perspective and realize that our God is big enough and even specializes in working through things that we don't even understand. In fact, God can take our obstacles and turn them into opportunities just to show how powerful he is. He can take our setbacks and give hell a setup and say, you thought they were down, but they're fixing to whip you like you've never been whipped over your head in your life. Amen. 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 Many of us feel, oh, my Lord, I'm chained up to this thing that I don't like. Well, your prison can become your pulpit. Are you with me? And there can be a purpose in your prison. And what the devil meant for evil, God can actually use for good. And things that you would never choose, God specializes in using those things for his glory. Can't you see him and the the devil talking a long time ago? And he said, have you considered my servant, Job? Can you see that? There's none like him in all the earth. Have you considered him? Yeah, I see him, but... He he serves you for naught because he knows that you're blessing him. So that's why. But if you'll let me touch him, if you'll let me touch him, I'll make him curse you. He said, okay, I'm going to let you touch him, but you're not going to take his life. (laughs) And so he touched him. His children died. His cattle died. His sheep died. His his oxen died. Everything he had to worship with and everything he had to, to prolong his legacy was gone. And Job still said, though he slay me. And he comes back and he said, wow, that old boy's got something here. He said, why don't you let me take, take that hedge down. Go ahead and take that hedge down. Take it down. Let me, just, let me just get close and just touch him. Let me touch him, not just his family. Not just. God said, okay, but you're not going to kill him. He said, okay, so he brings balls. And history said that he probably went under for about six months, about six months. And when all that took place, what the devil never understood was that not only God had a hedge, but Job had a hedge. And Job's hedge didn't give in when God took his away because Job had come to understand that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Because Job knew that if he had been blessed that much and everything was taken away, that God was up to something big time. He was going to bless him, and God did bless him. And I don't want to preach about Job. He's not even in my notes, but, oh, he just came to my head tonight. Some of you need to stand up in your spirit, not literally and physically tonight, but stand up and say, I know that this stuff is happening bad to me. It's not why God, it's what God. God, you got something in store for me that I just absolutely am fixing to be blessed beyond measure. That's perspective. You got to get it changed. I don't know if any of you remember several years ago, they came out with this, this, I think they called it magic eye pictures. You know what I'm talking about? You, you'd go look at this picture for a long time and it was all this collage of colors and stuff and you'd look at this picture. And you're not supposed to blink your eyes and you're just supposed to stare at it till your eyes just get fuzzy. You know what I'm saying? Your eyes just get fuzzy. And all of a sudden, there's this 3D image that would just come out of that picture. And you never saw it until you got fuzzy. 
Because if you blinked, you lost it. And I never could see the picture. <laughs> and I thought it was a setup. And I thought it was a bunch of blood brothers and a bunch of groups in the church that are just trying to make me look like a fool. You know what I'm saying? Rex, you don't see that? No, I don't see that. I can't see that. Oh, man, I can see it. Can you see it? And everybody's seeing it but me. So one day I went to the mall. I just went to the mall in Dallas, Texas. This when it was. I went to the mall, and I just stood there outside of a store. And I was going to look until I saw it or went blind trying. I just started staring. My eyes got to burning. Man, I didn't want to blink because if you blink, you go back to square one. Y'all remember them pictures? And all of a sudden, it happened, this aha epiphany moment. Some clowns carrying balloons just kind of come out of that thing. And I said, oh, my God. I see it. I didn't want to move. I see it. I see it. And I called one of my preacher buddies. I said, come here, come here, come here. I took my eyes off. I couldn't see it no more. He walked up and he said, oh, I see that. That's clowns with balloons. It took me 10, 11, 12 minutes, 13, 14, 15 minutes to see it. I'm fixing to preach. Some of you folks been blinking too much. Because sometimes your eyes got to get a little fuzzy before you see what God's doing behind the scenes. Because I promise you, when God steps out of that picture, he's going to be 3D. You hear me? He's going to come at you. Woo! It's almost like he's saying, here I am, here I am. I'm here to heal. I'm here to touch. Don't blink. Don't blink. God's got something for you. There's a times when I'm in a place where I don't see it and I don't understand it and I don't like it and even though I can't necessarily see it, I know God's there. It's not why, it's what. And if you'll just look through the circumstance and kind of get that funny, fuzzy look in your eyes, pastors can recognize it and people can see it. You got that look that says, "Mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm, I'm not going down. I'm not going under. I'm going over. God's with me, God's for me, and God's in me. And I'm not going to lose. And when I go through it, I'm not going to say, why, why, why? I'm going to say, God, you're setting me up. You're setting me up for a what in my life that I've never known in all my existence, and I'm getting ready for it. Is anybody excited about that? That's a brand new perspective in your life. Amen. Amen. So, You use those moments and you say, God, what do you want to do with me? Now what? What do you want to show me? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? What way do you want to use this thing that will bring you the most glory? I don't understand, God, but I trust you with my why. I'll trust you. Now what? Now what? Now what do you want me to do? Let's look at verse 13. Let me hurry. I kept you too late last week. Now, wait a minute. Here's here's verse 13. As a result, Paul said, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. 
Have you ever thought that some of this bug stuff that's working on you and driving you crazy might be because of Christ? Do you think that God might be trying to get something out of you that only chains could bring out of you? Because you understand that only God can get you through this. I said it, Sonny, and I'm going to say it again. There's some things you can get through that you may never get over, but I know a God that can get you through them. I know a God can get you through them. And some read this and, and they say, no, 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 no. You're in chains for preaching about Christ. We're punishing you, Paul. You're not in chains for Christ. This isn't a good thing. You need to be quiet. We're punishing you. And he could have said this. You think I'm chained and can't preach Christ, but you've forgotten who I'm chained to. And you've forgotten who's really in trouble here because they changed the guards every six hours. And he got a new praetorian guard every six hours. Can you imagine having to sit with him? Oh, God. Chained in a prison? Can you imagine having to sit there and saying, Oh, God, I'm this far from that breath. I'm this far from that knowledge. I'm this far from that anointing. Who's really chained now? I'm telling you, Paul said, whatever method I have to go, I'm going to Rome and I'm going to preach the gospel. And he said, I'm in chains for Christ. I'm here to tell you, God Almighty saw that he got to preach the gospel. I wonder how many of those guards he baptized and they got out of the Roman Empire. I wonder how many of those people he turned their life around in two years. I would say he might have had to, they might have had to refill the whole 10,000 army because when a man of God understands the what and gives God the why. You don't have any problem of a man like that except get out of the way, hell. I'm going on my journey and nothing is going to stop me. Boy, I feel this. Boy, I feel this. You know, back I used to study judo and aikido and all them hudos. And I, even took, I even took some karate lessons one time. I didn't realize I was taking it from a man who was a, a wife beater and a child beater, and he was a student beater. He was an older man. He was in his uh, middle 30s. I was about 16. I weighed about 150 pounds, and here's how he taught me. Here's how he taught me. He said, kick me. So I kicked him. He nearly broke my leg. He nearly broke my leg. I never got the kick there. He said, hit me. It didn't take me but a couple of times. You know, fool me once, shame on me. On you, fool me twice, shame on me. And I, I kind of I kind of swung, and he liked to broke my arm. And I said, have I paid you yet? <laughs> that was my last adventure in that. So now I just use crowbars. <laughs> I'm teasing again. But you know judo and aikido, you know, you know what happens. Oh, somebody will come at an old boy. I know all about it because I read about it. <laughs> and that guy will be charging this judo expert. If Richard Johnson was up here, he could show you. Our brother Villarreal, they could show you. Got a ninth degree and a seventh degree in this house. And, and, and one of them coming up here. And, whoosh, and what they do, they use the momentum of that attacker. And they just let them flow by, trip them put them on the ground, and sit on them like a big old fat guy sits on a little kid. And they can't move. And they don't have to use a lot of energy because they use the force that's against them. 
And that's what God is saying I want my people to do. That's what Paul did. Paul was saying, hey, don't feel sorry for me because the gospel's getting preached right here in Rome. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in these chains for Christ and the gospel's getting preached and it don't matter. They throw the haymaker at me. They thought they had me. They thought I was going to lose it all. They thought I was going to get depressed after two years of being in chains. But I'm preaching the gospel, kids. I'm having the time of my life. I'm enjoying this thing. Oh, I wish I could be free to do it, but it don't matter. The gospel is being preached. And I'm in chains for Christ. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Put it on the screen. The test you endure today will be the testimony that you'll tell tomorrow. The test you endure today will be the testimony you'll tell tomorrow. Say it with me. The test you endure today could be the testimony you will tell tomorrow. Let me just stop and say, has anybody, anybody ever had a God that brought you through something? Come on. Now, let me, let me say something. If he's ever brought you through, don't you think he can repeat that? So I want us to have joy this summer. I don't want us to say, why, why? I want us to get over the why. I want us to get on the what and say, God, you've got something in my life. You've got something stored up for me, and I can't wait to see what's behind door number two. Amen. Second thing I want you to understand is your misery could actually become your ministry. Say it. Your misery could actually become your ministry. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Verse 14. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word more courageously and fearlessly. <laughs> really? Really? Isn't that amazing? Paul's chained. He's doing more than us guys that are not chained. He's chained and he's baptizing people every day and he's laying hands on them. They're getting healed. And God's all over this thing. Do you see what God's doing in that prison house? No wonder he wrote with joy. No wonder he wrote with a happiness in his life. So you wake up and you're not married. You want to be married. Now what? You wake up and you're financially strapped like you never thought you would be. Okay, God, I trust you with the why. Now what? What do you want to do? What do you want to do in me? How do you want to show yourself through this? You hit a relational dead end. You hit a dead end in your career. Now what, God? Everybody say, now what? Never why. Just why. Just what? Second question, so what? <laughs> Say, so what? So what? Well, when Hale gets somebody looking at him and saying, so what? Is that your best? I like this. I like where we're heading in this study. There was some division in the church, and in verse 15, Paul said, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But in verse 18, he said, But what does it matter? So what? So what? 
The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, Christ is preached. Amen. Amen. Some people go off about this. They gossip about it. They Instagram about it. They put it on Facebook. They tweet it, but not Paul. He had a so what attitude. Big deal. I don't care if they're preaching because they love it or preaching because they want self-gain. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just happy that Christ is preached. Folks, that is an attitude. That's an attitude. No wonder they couldn't put him under. No wonder he wouldn't go down. So what? What does it really matter? In fact, the Greek words for so what, what does it matter, is these three words, tisgarplin. Put it up there, tisgarplin. Everybody say tisgarplin. Say it like tattoo when he used to holler, de plain, de plain. <laughs> say tisgarplin. Come on, say it. Tisgarplin. Tisgarplin. Put that on your refrigerator. That means so what? What does it matter? To say it like you mean it, what does it matter? Now, I've trained myself to do this, and I don't always do it, but, I, but I've trained myself, and I'm almost done. I've trained myself to do this. When something happens in my life, I make this statement. You know what? It won't matter anything in 100 years. What does it matter? What does it matter? Why do I have to get upset? Because you know what? This thing, nobody's going to remember it in 100 years. In fact, I have, I've gotten it down to a month before. It ain't going to matter in a month. You know, we think things that come in our life, we think they're final. There's nothing that comes in your life that's final. There's nothing eternal except the Spirit of God that God put in your soul. Everything in this world is temporal. Nothing's going to last forever. And I promise you, the thing that you're going through right now probably won't even matter a month from now. So what does it matter? So what? So what? Get ready for the next one because I promise you God's got something greater for you. Every time you go through it, you go to another level, you go to another level, you go to another level, and all of a sudden he's sitting up there and saying, have you considered? And you understand that the gospel is being preached by every time you get up off the mat. The gospel's being preached every time you worship God when you walk in these doors. The gospel's being preached every time you say, I'm not going under, I'm going over. The gospel's being preached every time you sing in this choir. The gospel's being preached every time you show up on a Sunday morning. The gospel's been preached every time you go out and tell somebody Jesus loves them and you're going through pain and agony and hurt, but it doesn't matter. So what? I'm going to preach the gospel no matter what happens to me. My, my, my. I, uh, I had to resign a church in DeRitter to come to this church in 1990. So the night before I resigned, I had a horrible counseling case I had to take care of. Horrible. Horrible. A mother and her daughter were fighting. And she was a cook at a country club and had a fabulous job. And her daughter was one of her helpers. And, man, they were going at it like, whoo. Man, boy, it was tough. So they called me, and I went over there, and I walked in the middle of Armageddon. <laughs> the night before, I resigned that church. So I'm sitting there and listening. And for two and a half hours, there was no movement. There was name calling. There were words. There were hard tongues. There was threatenings. No movement. No movement. 
And I finally, I finally, I said, well, ladies, I got to go home. That's the last time I ever went to a house to counsel. So I got to go home. Tomorrow's going to be, I'm not, I'm not available right yet. Tomorrow is going to be a busy and a tough day for me. Really? You're going to have a tough day tomorrow? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm resigning the church tomorrow. Here they came, both of them just falling on me, hugging on me. And in two minutes, the war was over. (laughs) To (laughs) Scarplin. The war was over because all of a sudden, they saw it in a new context that our problems are not nearly as big as we think they are because there's always something bigger that's going to happen that's going to make our problems seem about this big. You know, I've discovered something. The closer you put a penny to your eye, you can block out the sun if you get it close enough. And one red copper can block out the sun of righteousness in your life. One little old incident. But you stretch that penny out here, you can see all kinds of sunshine in your life. Because the problem ain't near as big as the son of righteousness that wants to bring healing in your life. Amen? Some of you. Amen. Some of you, you know, you're watching your favorite TV show, and all of a sudden we say, we interrupt this because the president has something important to say. Oh, the days of our life. I don't get to watch it. Young and the restless. And then you hear we had a 9-11 bombing, you know, and oh, it don't matter what happens at Genoa City. Oh, so what? Are you with me? You're running late and the train slows you down. It won't matter a hundred years from now that that train slowed you down. Tiscarplin. You spill something on your favorite outfit. Oh, Tiscarplin. And you identify things that you think are a big deal and it changes your perspective and suddenly... You focus on what really does matter. And so often we get wrapped up in things that are not eternal. Discarpling, so what? When we recognize what is important, things temporal become unimportant. What does matter? I'll tell you what matters is my relationship with God and getting out of the whys in my life and getting into the now what's and so what's because God is my portion. And there's nobody like him. So... I close. Verse 21 said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul got to a point where he said, listen, if I'm alive, it's because of Christ. If I die, it's gain. So what he was saying was, don't threaten me with heaven. Don't you threaten me with heaven because I'm going to go there someday. You're not going to threaten me with something that's going to be as beautiful as I've read in that Bible it's going to be. Don't threaten me with that. But if I live, it's going to be Christ. If I die, y'all sing good songs at my funeral because I'm going home. Amen. Amen. I'm going home. When you get a perspective change, it changes everything. Now, what are you going to say about this trophy? Okay, I'm going to talk about it right now, and I'm going to let you go. This is a, this is a Heisman trophy. This is given to the number one player in all of America. Most of the time it's offense. A few times it's been defense, but most of the time it's offense. Most of the time a quarterback or running back. Ricky won it in 1998. We cheer for people like this, don't we? 
Do you cheer for him? Anybody like the horns? You remember Ricky? You remember Earl? You remember those guys? Yeah. Here's what I want to say. Ricky's college stats, he had 1,011 attempts in his years here. For 6,279 yards, he became the leading rusher against the Aggies. He broke the record of Tony Dorsett. He had 72 touchdowns. He averaged 6.2 yards a carry for 136.5 yards per game. Ricky Williams' stats in the pro pro game. He attempted 2,431 attempts. He had 10,009 yards, 66 touchdowns, 4.1 yards per carry. He was the 28th running back in the NFL history to hit 10,000 yards. Now stay with me. Everybody cheer for Ricky. Now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Every 6.1 in college and 4.1 in the pros, he got knocked down, lit up, thrown out of bounds, cursed, called a loser, get back in the huddle, you no good running back. We're going to whip you today. I'm going to be all day long. I'm going to be in your face. (laughs) He'd pick himself up, get back in that huddle. And he wouldn't say, why are they hitting me? (laughs) He'd say, so what? He'd look out of that huddle. He'd see that goal line. And he said, that's my goal right there. In the pros, 4.1 yards. He was knocked down. He carried the ball over 2,400 times for 10,009 yards. But every 4.1, he had to pick himself back up. Now, listen to me. We cheer for guys like this. But can you imagine how angels cheer for us? That we're walking through this life and hell says, I'm going to knock you out of bounds. I'm going to put you down. I'm going to tackle you. I'm going to destroy your faith. And you just get up and say, so what? So what? Because you get back in that huddle on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday morning, and you look over the huddle and say, I see the goal line. (laughs) I see victory. I see victory. You got to get a so what attitude. You got to get a now what attitude in your life. You got to get it. And one day you're going to get something bigger than this. You're going to get a crown of righteousness. You're going to get a crown of life. You're going to get a victor's crown. Because you can't walk around whining, why, why, why. You say, God, I know you can handle the whys. I'm just going to tell you, you got to help me with the whats. What do you have in mind for me? That's perspective. Anybody got a hold of this tonight? Anybody got a hold of this tonight? Thank you for listening. We hope that today's message has blessed you. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.